I'm Greg Berard, and welcome to my podcast on living a full life. It's become my mission to live an amazing life, to be the best version of myself that I can be, and to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves, and to create the lives that they want to live. This podcast is a narrative of my own personal journey, along with rich and meaningful conversations with truly successful people, exploring how to build great wealth while maintaining balance for family, love, health, parenting, purpose, and passion. So please join me. Let's take this journey together to uncover what it really means to live a full life. Before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Additionally, I'd love to connect with you directly. Please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date with my latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email is also my personal email address, so I'm happy to connect with you directly. Without further ado, please enjoy this podcast on living a full life. Today's guest is Bronwyn Morrissey. Bronwyn spent 25 plus years as a successful sales executive in the mortgage banking industry before she decided to shift gears and fulfill her dream of becoming an executive leadership coach. Bronwyn has a personal mission to empower women to achieve their personal and professional goals. And not only does Bronwyn run a very successful coaching practice, but she has a wife, a mother of three, an avid wilderness trail runner. She used to be an ultra marathon runner, you know, because running a marathon isn't hard enough. (laughs) She's also a world traveler, a meditation teacher, outdoor enthusiast, yogi, and a former Peace Corps volunteer. Um, This is a really wide-ranging conversation with Bronwyn, who who sort of reached transformation in in a similar way that I did, Um, not through uh, any intense or serious trauma, but through this, this sort of nagging sense of something was off in her life. Something was not right. She was unfulfilled, unhappy, and something was missing. She, she had went from this type A personality where, where she was focused on numbers and career and trajectory and, and doing all these things. And she found herself missing areas of her life that, that were incredibly important to her. She had trouble with work-life balance and, and, and trouble with prioritizing uh, excuse me, I should say obstacles with prioritizing what was really important to her in her life. And through a series of events that took place not overnight, but over a period, you know, over many years, she transformed herself and transformed her life. She slowed down. She took stock of what was important in her life, realized truly what was important, and and became the person that she wanted to be. Um, she works on herself daily. She works with her clients and on herself daily. Um, she truly is somebody who who walks the walk. She not only um, believes that a life experience and life journey is is important, but she experiences it herself in in these intense trail runs that she does and in the adventures and travels that she has and the clients that she services. So I, I found this to be a really fun, really wide-ranging conversation, somebody that I really connected with on on many different levels because I think we've we sort of experience our transformation in a very similar way. I, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And so without further delay, please enjoy this podcast with Bronwyn Morrissey. ...are not economical. They're not economical. But the, but the eggs when they come are, are delicious? They're good. They're great. 
They're better than store-bought for sure. And we need a lot of eggs, luckily. <laughs> and do you do you get uh, predators then uh, that sort of come to the house because you have uh, all those chickens? Yeah, we've uh, had raccoon massacres and fox massacres. Yeah. And um, recently, this summer, we had a bear, which is a little unusual because I'm not, I'm an owl, uh, a mile from the foothills, but they would not only probably eat the chickens, but they would definitely smash the uh, hives and eat all the honey. <laughs> mm, ah, yes. Mm. That would not be fun. Yeah. Do you do anything with the honey in particular? Do you bottle it up and sell it to, or, you know, bring it to neighbors or is it, is it all, do you just love honey so much? Your husband loves honey so much that it's, he puts it in everything. It's like, we should go to the farmer's market. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, we did last year, we got 150 pounds of honey. I mean, that is more than you can consume. So, and I have 30 pounds right now that actually this weekend we need to put in jars and we haven't harvested ours yet. We'll probably get less this year. We give it as gifts at Christmas and he mm. gives it to his referring partners um, as a gift to say, like, I hope this sweetens your day or something like that. It's really cute. So, and it's it, uh, the honey tea's different every time. So that's kind of fun. So it's not, you know, they go to different mm-hmm. and flowers. And so this year it tastes really piney for some reason, which is kind of different. Good. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Wherever they're getting the pollen from, it's going to change the flavor of the honey, you would think. It's never thought about that before. Yeah. It's like wine tasting. You can go honey tasting, and it is extraordinarily different, each one. Yeah. And extraordinarily different in that you, you're not getting quite hammered after a, a couple of drinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might feel sick, though. <laughs> yeah, that's potentially true. <laughs> My wife and I uh, went to a farmer's market and they, they sold us um, bee pollen. I don't know if you, you do anything with the bee pollen, but apparently it's supposed to be supposed to have some health benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put it in my salad, but it, it actually, my wife gets like, like almost high from it. She gets super, super dizzy and disoriented and almost like a, some, like a, like a high almost. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So maybe I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, just maybe a small honey allergy that, that only comes out with uh with the pollen who knows yeah that's great i love it (laughs) when did you when did you move to colorado from los angeles um so i lived in la through high school and then northern california after that i moved to colorado in um, 1990 so 30 years ago so i've been in colorado longer than anywhere else in my life even though i still say i'm from california I'm really from Colorado at this point. So are my kids. <laughs> so yeah, I've been here a long time. Love it. I was such a beach girl. I was an LA County lifeguard and, you know, I loved surf and be in the water and paddleboard and all that stuff. And I, I miss the beach, but I love, love, love the mountains. Like I'm a, I'm a total trail mountain girl, which I didn't know until we got here. Interesting. Oh, we'll go, we'll talk about all the trail, uh, the trail running. Mm -hmm. I want to understand a little bit more about that. But uh, before we go there, I mentioned this prior to our call that I'm going to try something a little bit different today. Normally the first several interviews I've done and and podcasts I've done uh, with guests have kind of gone through a, a sort of journey within the, with sort of context of the story behind 
the transformation into living a full life. But I, I'm going to start somewhere a little bit differently for this podcast. I'm going to try something a little bit different. And that's to start with a bigger sort of question, a bigger theme here, and then let that dive into the context of how we got there. So the first big question that I want to ask is you posted on Instagram recently, a quote, a quote from you. And um, I, it's perfect because it's exactly kind of the question I wanted to ask you, but in, in, in a quote made from you. So the quote is, am I living my ideal life or am I living a default life? What does that mean to you? Well, well, um, I was living a default life for the majority of my life. Um, I did what you thought we were supposed to do, like go get a job in corporate America and climb up the ladder and be a good girl. And, you know, next thing you know, I was, it was like the tail was wagging the dog. And there was always this niggle of like, there's something else, like something's not right. Something not fulfilling, but you know, I was making good money and doing what you're supposed to do. But I but inside, there was a little bit of something that wouldn't let go, right? I just try mm-hmm. to quiet down and stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm doing my thing here. And I felt like I was really living the the default life. And there's a whole bunch of reasons behind that. Like, right, I um, there was safety. There was security. There's a way that, that fear was driving it, like have-tos. and. And my life's been amazing. Like, I'm so lucky and grateful for all of it. And that's part of my journey, too. But the ideal life, the ideal life is is something that a lot of people don't even ever give themselves a chance to think about. They're just like, well, this is just what it is. It's fine. Okay. This is, this is what I'm doing. And they just continue to ignore that little niggle or voice inside that's like, wait, what about the book you want to write? Or what about this adventure you want to go on? Or why are you working 16, 18 hours a day? And so for me, I I did, you know, cross into really living a more ideal life. I'm still working on it, right? It's, it's like a work, it's life in progress, work in progress. And for me, it, I'd say the big leap for me was when I jumped from, working in mortgage banking for 27 years to creating um, my coaching business, which is what I'm doing now. And I know I'm on the right path. I know there's more that's going to flourish and open up around it. But the reason I know is because I feel I'm so, I love what I do. Like I'm like, I, I do work a lot of hours because not because I have to, or there's a deadline or there's a, you know, below the line thinking like have to, should, it's more, I want to, I want to serve. I'm having so much fun. And sometimes I have to pull myself away when I'm doing that. So does that, does that help answer part of your question? There's so much to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Before we get into, I have some questions around this sort of transformation of leaving corporate world into coaching. And I want to go and get into the, into the corporate world as, as well. The default mode. So what does that mean? Does that mean, so from my perspective, you've kind of said something like doing what you're supposed to do, getting the job, climbing the ladder, this or that. How did you transition away from the default mode? How did you notice that you were living in this default mode? Was it, did, it, did something happen where just it clicked? 
Were you working as a coach on the side or did you just one day say, I'm unhappy here at this job. I want, I want to do something else Mm. with my life. Yeah. Well, I almost feel like it was getting louder and louder until an incident occurred, which I can share. That was like the universe saying, pay attention, (laughs) right? Like, listen to me. And that's when I was like, something's got to change. So, so what happened was I was working this full-time job. I was traveling a ton. I had three small kids, you know, it was like the days when I, I worked from home for, I've worked from home for a long time. So this isn't unusual what we're experiencing, but my kids would walk in and they'd ask me a question and I'd be like, I'm on a phone call. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Not very nice. And I wish I could go back and change that, but I can't. So I was on edge. Like I was at, you know, the top of wound up. And I was also at the time an ultra runner. So I was competing for these ultra marathons and I was training for a huge race, a hundred mile kilometer race called the uh, Miwok 100 in um, Northern California, a hundred kilometers. And driving to go meet people to go for a training run, exhausted because I'd just come back from travel. And on my way there, I was in, um, I hit black ice, flipped my car end over end and woke up hanging upside down. And went through this whole, whole experience where I, you know, I had a head injury, but I had to get on a plane and go on a trip a couple of days later. And while I was there, somebody sat me down. This, she's my one of my bosses, my mentor, my guardian angel. And he said, something's not right. Like, what is going on with you? Besides the stitches and the black eyes. <laughs> I just burst out in tears and I was like, something's got to change. I just can't, I can't keep this up. I was pushing myself so hard, trying to prove myself in every area of my life. And I hit a wall, right? And so that was the beginning of where I was like, something has to change. And I don't know how, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And for me, maybe I, you know, it took me longer. It took me 10 years to like really make the transition into, yeah, I'm really going to make a change. And I put my toe in, like I, you know, I, I tried to bring the personal and professional development stuff that I love so much in my corporate job into my clients' offices and was, you know, speaking at luncheons and things like that or doing lunch and learns. But I wasn't ready to make the leap. I was too scared, right? The fear kept me there. And I had golden handcuffs, you know, I was making a lot of money and supporting the family until I finally did three and a half years ago. And it, it actually, I, I want to be really honest here. I didn't make the decision. I got um, kicked out of the nest. I lost my job through an acquisition. And that's when I was like, okay, I finally hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, talked to my husband about it. And I said, I, I really want to try to do my own thing and start my own company. He was like, all right, you can do it. You have for a year to see how it goes. And so I was like, all right. And I did. So, so that was, you know, my journey of, and they just kept niggling at me. Like I just knew I tried other things while I was in corporate America. At one point I opened a yoga studio. So I was working a full-time job as a VP flying all over the place. And I had a yoga studio with 50 employees. And I was like, well, that wasn't the answer. that wasn't that was just adding more so can i ask you 
why did you start the yoga studio? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I love to do yoga, right. And there's part of yoga that's this conscious living. Right. And so that was, I thought the, the golden ticket I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll open a yoga studio and then I'll open two and then I'll be able to put my job right in mm-hmm. the conscious world. And I, you know, you can bring more of what I believe in is um, conscious living, conscious communication and conscious, you know, with our bodies too. But it actually was just another business. <laughs> it was super stressful and I was doing the same thing. Um, so I was like, okay, that wasn't the answer. I sold it in three years and which is great. And, uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that. It's so funny that you share that story. When uh, about a year ago, I had a, a serious health scare. And I think this is probably the impetus, the beginning of, you know, I'm hearing the same thing in the back of my mind, like something's got to change, something's got to change. And then I have a little, uh, you know, a scary health scare in my life. And I start thinking to myself, I want to do, you know, I want to become more spiritual. I want to, I want to, you know, be more in my body. I want to be, you know, have less of a monkey mind. I want to do all these things. And I, my first inclination was to go and start a rugged retreat in Malibu. I was going to launch a business. I have a business plan for it and everything. And I stopped myself. I don't know why I stopped myself, but I asked myself the right question. Like, is this really, do you really want this? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, I don't want another business. Like, I don't need another business. I have enough with my own business. Um, so it's really funny that you mentioned that. And there's this quote I love from Richard Feynman, right? It's it's his first principle. Richard Feynman's the famous physicist. His first principle is that something, I'm, I might bastardize this, but you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. <laughs> and it's just a quote I think about all the time. And it's exactly what we're sort of talking about of living a default life. Mm, yeah. I think we sometimes think about things that we want and we don't think about why we want them. And only when we get there, do we go, this is not making us happy. And if we could avoid all that in the beginning and ask ourselves the right questions, maybe we can avoid the pain and struggle later in life. So this maybe in a a roundabout way leads to the next question, which is why coaching? How did you tell us the story about that? How, how did you find coaching? Why coaching? Why did you think you would be good at that? And, and how, tell us about, tell us about the story of, of your launching of your coaching business and why. Yeah. So back to when I had that conversation and my guardian angel, Linda Baker, it's amazing, said, he asked me that question. She said, you need to go do this course. <laughs> in Portland, Oregon ca- called Mastering Change and Loss. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I, um, I called them and of course there was one spot left and I had the weekend I could go. And so I did. And that was the first time I experienced any kind of personal or professional development. And I, I walked in there with a lot of judgment. I was like, what am I doing here? And I cried the entire weekend. Like, it was amazing. Uh, And it really, like, I came back different from two days. And I was like, I want more of that. And then I was addicted, right? I was, I was like reading every book. I mean, if you could see my bookshelves, crazy. I was taking tons of courses. I was flying out there every other month to go take courses. Um, And then I decided 
actually, I want to do this. Like I want to be on the, in the front of the room and I want to be the one teaching this. And I, I didn't know how. So I just started to explore around that. And I, um, just like a lot of people and especially women, I think it's like, uh, but I'm not going to be ready unless I'm certified 20 times over. <laughs> and so I got certified like five times in different, <laughs> different things, different coaching iterations. And even after I lost my job, I actually thought I need to get coaching certification again. I've been coaching for 10 years myself, but I'm glad I did and met a lot of people and, and really got the confidence is really all those are in order to say, I actually know how to do this. And so I've been playing with it though. Like I had been bringing it into my companies. I worked for um, a company that was owned by AIG Corporation. Like when we're talking corporate America, we're talking huge. And they had a women's employee resource group and I was the executive director and I would bring this to that forum and I saw the impact and I saw people's like, you know, heads tilt a little bit and light bulbs going on and thinking about things in a different way. So that's what I'm up for is helping people see things in a different way to realize that they can shift their thinking or their perception the the actual whatever they're they're up against doesn't have to change necessarily but the way they approach it changes changes everything it's on the inside so that's that's why the coaching and why I love what I do and it has morphed over time like my focus it's morphing right now very strongly yeah into what specifically or is it something too early to talk about no uh, it's not because it's what we're talking about. I'm just getting so clear that, so I work mostly with women executive in the mortgage banking realm, right? Because it's my world or in corporate America, um, some entrepreneurs too, which is a lot of fun, but that just happens to be my world. And so there's a deeper conversation that I'm having around this, this idea of really helping people create more of what they want in their lives and more fulfillment, more of what's really important to them. I had a client conversation this morning and we really didn't talk about job pressures, goals, you know, the things she's up against at work as much as we talked about what's really important to you about your life and how are we going to create that right now? And for the first time in a lot of conversations I've had with her in particular, she, I really heard a shift of, you know what, I, I really want to start focusing on this and make some changes and make things happen that are important to me. She was just so bogged down with tasks and, you know, deadlines and have tos all the time that there was no time to dream and think about it. So mm. creating that space is what I'm really up for in helping people see that they can create it, that it's possible and shepherd them through that. So in this vein, what does living a full life mean to you mm-hmm. when you think of those, those sort of words, living, living a full life? So my, uh, m- my idea of living a full life is life is experience. Life is like rich experience. And 
it's any kind of experience. So when I say rich experience, I don't necessarily mean like all the good things. Mm-hmm. I mean the things that are hard, the things that are painful, like every experience. And so when I think of, of living a full life, I kind of get sad when I think of people's being myopic of like, I go to work every day and I come home and I eat dinner and I watch TV. Then I wake up in the morning and I go to work and I come home and I write and I'm like, oh, it makes me kind of hurt. It hurt, breaks my heart. Like I'm like, there's so much more. And maybe they go to Mexico once a year on a vacation for five days, but it takes eight days to wind down. So to me, like a full life is like, what can I experience? Like having all of our stuff and accumulating, that's part of life to a certain place. But I think where you and I are is like, it's more than this, the physical big things. I don't really care about my big house and all this stuff anymore. I'm like, I don't know, I could sell it all. I go live in a van somewhere. Honestly, I really don't care. <laughs> but I'll, but it's like, but I want to experience the world and I want to experience all of it, meaning the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's part of the experience versus like being in a little tiny house with a white picket fence. Like, I want to go to Africa. I want to go see how it's for people that are struggling. You know, I, I can't imagine like what we're experiencing right now with like black lives matters. Like I'm like, I I don't know what that's like. Uh, You know, I'm kind of, I'm very curious. Like I'm like, but I, you know, I don't know how to experience that. Maybe there's a way you could, but it's full life is rich, rich experience. So what more can I experience in this life? And how can I encourage other people to do that? Because life is short and precious. And I think that we forget that all the time. Mm-hmm. After that accident, there are many, many days that I wake up first thing in the morning. And as I'm like walking in to go brush my teeth, I'm like, wow, I'm alive. Wow. So amazing. Lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. One of the things that I do, I try to do daily, I don't always get to it, is I have a, just a real brief yoga practice, um, just a real sort of movement meditation. And prior to it, I just sit and I try to I try to think of just briefly how crazy it is just to be alive at all, just to have been born. Not not make it a day past birth, but just to, to be born. I think of the the sort of uh, terraforming of earth. I think of all the sort of microorganisms that came before the plants, the the oceans, the, all the life that had to sort of grow and die and in order to create primates and then primates creating humans yeah. and, and, and then all the strife that humans have had to endure from climate change to pandemics, to famines, to, wars and bloodshed and loss and love and hate and everything for all that to go forward just for my 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 grandparents to have met and my mom and dad to have met and then for me to just take a breath in this earth mm-hmm. is just a miracle yeah and every every day from that moment is just like it's like it's just a gift and and you know my what i've sort of come to the realization of recently is is that there's a certain way you can earn that gift Mm. and and i think it's just by for me just living intentionally every day being the best version of myself that i can be every single day 
And I love what you said about, about the fact that it's still going on, that you're still working out these things because it's a journey. If it was, a, if we figured it out today, there'd be no reason to go tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's part of the fun is to, as you say, experience life in in all of its good and bad and ugly, as you said. So, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's just um, very insightful and and very cool. And you have you you talk about experience, and you've also traveled around quite a bit. Is is travel to you something that? that is just sort of necessary for, for experiencing a full life or is it just, it's just sort of cherry on the top. I mean, how do you think about travel and your travel experiences and maybe share some, I've seen some pictures of, of, of your trips looks like to India and Africa and, and others. I'd love to hear maybe tell us a story, a unique story about some of your travels. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I feel like travel to me as a part of my life is so important. But I have to say it's probably the cherry on top because you can have rich experiences where you are. And when you just said like living intentionally, I just had this like deeper thought around like that's also like you can go deeper and deeper and deeper with it. Like, and so, you know, I could do a lot of this, have these experiences here and go deeper with, you know, even like, the way you step across a threshold can be intentional, right? <laughs> to the minute detail. Now we're, now we're talking about, now you're talking about Zen meditation, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I love to travel. I love, because it's back to a, a rich experience, like being in different cultures and, and experiencing different cultures and, and really getting into the culture uh, if possible. So and I read this book last year. It's an old book called um, Tales of Female Nomad. So good. And I read it before I went to India last year. And and I was so intrigued by her ability to like go different places and get deeply into the culture. Because we can skirt culture when we're there. Like when I was in India, I didn't get to go into their homes a little bit, but not not in the way that she was describing, but in Africa, I have been able to do that. And I, it started because I didn't travel much growing up, um, but I joined the Peace Corps after I graduated from college. And um, I went to Togo, West Africa. And that was where I really started to get an experience of, besides going abroad to France in college, but really being in a different culture and living in the culture, in their village, and working with them. Uh, and there, ever since, has been this huge desire of, like, how do I do more of that? And I thought that might be what I would do. Something around international development, that was my degree, international studies, but but it didn't turn out that way. I had to go get a job and like, figure out how to pay rent and <laughs> get a regular job and next thing you know, 27-year career, right? Like, yeah. that wasn't the dream or the plan which totally got set aside but i you know there's so many more places i would love to go explore places that are on my bucket list and i've been so fortunate to go to a lot of places you know and working hard afforded me that because we've had the money to be able to do that and our kids have traveled a lot which is i think amazing at such a young age they got to go and have these experiences so 
let's, I want to explore this further because I'm, I'm very interested in this from, from my kids' perspective and traveling. I've lived abroad as well, uh, but it's been years. So when you travel now or when you traveled with your kids, did you, did you do anything sort of different? I'll just kind of tell you, and you can think about this, but as, as I've traveled recently or not recently, but you know, in the past and <laughs> no one's traveling right now, but when the last, I don't know, 10 years or so of travel for me, it's, it's all about indulgence. It's about finding a place to, to eat the best food. It's about wine tasting or, you know, getting a good buzz or whatever it is. And it's less about immersing myself in the culture. And I, I was, it was so, uh, my, my 40th birthday was um, a couple of weeks ago. And my wife threw a stay home, stay at home, a staycation travel trip. So for a week we went to different places, but we just stayed home. We just decorated the house and different things. And the whole thing was associated around like, you know, on, on Monday of my birthday week, we went to Mexico and we did a tequila tasting on Tuesday. We were in Hawaii and I was making Mai Tais and smoked a pork butt. And, you know, and then Wednesday, my actual birthday, we, we had a really nice fancy steak thing brought in with a seafood tower and all this stuff. And we really did. It was a beautiful, amazing week, just full of fun and indulgences. And I thought to myself, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, how weird, like, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s and I traveled and I lived abroad, like I didn't care so much about that stuff. I didn't care about the meal I had. I mean, although I liked good food, I didn't care that much. You know, if I could have a, a currywurst on the side of a, you know, under under a bridge, you know, at the metro station in Berlin, you know, and have hot, fresh uh, French fries, you know, and a, and a German beer, like I'd be super happy. Um, I didn't spend all day looking for the place I wanted to eat for the night. It wasn't that important to me. It was cool to just go experience life and walk in museums and just explore and look at the buildings around me and talk to people or at least try to talk to people. And when did I get rid of that? I don't know when that went away. Mm. So when I ask you this question, I'm asking from a perspective of are your are your vacations more like mine where it's just about finding the the best food to eat, which is totally fine. <laughs> or are you immersing yourself in culture in specific ways? Do you go and build houses in Peru with the family and then go eat? fancy meals for a week. Like, do you have a strategy around travel? <laughs> yeah, I do both for sure. Uh, like there are actually a whole bunch of different things. Like that trip to India was a, a spiritual experience, right? It was the, for Nataraja, which is the goddess festival. So every day going to temples and meeting with the priests and, you know, sitting. And did you do that by yourself or with your family? It was a tour, a group some yogis that I'm really good friends with. So that was really amazing, different. And then we go on, when we go on family trips, right, they're usually like pretty, pretty amazing. Like Ireland staying in a castle <laughs> or wow. Thailand going to, you know, see Buddhist temples, but then, you know, stay in some crazy, you know, Chiang Mai up north and see the lanterns for New Year's. By the way, you got to do that. Amazing. Oh my God. So, Can you tell me about that? What What is that? In Chiang Mai, it's the north of Thailand. Um, we happen to be there for New Year's and they light lanterns. You can't do it here. We we have a lot more fires. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, we light these lanterns. In the I'm in California. I get that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thousands and thousands of lanterns like flying up in the air and you put a prayer into the lantern and it flies up in the air and you can see the air current. There's like this like wave of lanterns 
flying up into the air with thousands of prayers and wishes, which is just spectacular. So I do that, but then I do have experiences. When I first went to Uganda, my daughter and I decided to meet there. She went to school in Madagascar for a semester, my oldest. Very adventurous, right? And we were going to meet in South Africa, and it just wasn't working out. So we met in Uganda, which I'm like, Uganda? Like, what? (laughs) was not on my list at all. And we lived in a home with the mamas, and we volunteered. For this really tiny nonprofit. And so we lived in Mama Roman's home with all of them. And that, and I cooked with them and we were in the village, right? And that was amazing, like getting to know them on that level. And and I was actually, it was from, it was this Friday, I was supposed to take a group and go have them experience that, um, which would have been really cool, but COVID happened. So like when I was talking about like getting into the culture and really experiencing um, the family and or the culture where I am, that kind of richness is is what I really desire when I go travel. So cool. Did you have you thought uh, as your kids were growing up and you were you were traveling together? Was there was there besides just having a fun vacation as a family? Was there sort of purpose? behind it or you know did you have did you have trips with sort of goals i mean the way i i'm i've thought about it um with with my family not that again not that we're traveling right now is i would love for my kids to see other cultures and the way other people live and you don't really get that by staying in five-star hotels um which there's nothing wrong with staying in five-star hotels. Um, it's quite enjoyable uh, ha- having five-star uh, service cater to you and your family. But yeah. I- I'm just sort of thinking in the next five or 10 years, starting to travel. My, my kids are, are are young and pain in the butt to travel with at, at this point anyway. But in the next five or 10 years, it'll be fun to start bringing them to places and having them see other cultures. Did you do things like that with your kids where you you went to specific places so that they can, so they can see how other people lived or more just relaxation, fun. More um, with the kids, more around what country do we want to go experience and see Mm -hmm. and just explore together. We've never been and done like a service trip together, which that would be really cool. My kids have done them themselves. um, My older two, my, and they're very like, they love to travel now. So even just, having these experiences of going places, they definitely have the bug. Like my son's moving to Korea in about four weeks, back to Korea. He's lived there before. And my daughter's, um, the oldest one is uh, going to medical school and wants to someday do some kind of global, you know, doctors without borders type of medicine possibly um, to help uh, and go back to maybe go back to Uganda, to that village, Dr. Dan, work with him and start a project so it's been instilled in them, but that's been something that we purposely had into an intention around the trips. Yeah. More fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with any of those uh, things. I mean, when you travel, you see, you, you at least get to see another culture, um, even if it's from the periphery and you're not living in mama's house. Um, so you, you still see it. It's just, um, I always try to think of, of sort of the minimum effective dose, right? How do you get the most out of a two week trip 
where where not only are you having fun, but you can also immerse yourself as deeply and as quickly as possible in something a unique and special experience. Um, I haven't done it yet. I'm just I'm sort of thinking about it <laughs> how yeah. how I might do it with my family at some point. Yeah, so much fun. That'd be so fun. We we've talked a little bit about about your children and your family. Um, part of living a full life in my mind is not necessarily having kids or a family, but, but I think taking care of others and having relationships, having partners in life, um, special people that you care about. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be having kids necessarily. You could take care of an, of an, of an elderly parent, or, um, you could take care of a pet for that matter. Um, but the fact is we're, we're, we're highly social beings, highly social creatures. And I, I think part of, living a full life is sort of embracing that. And it's become even more apparent to me in, in this sort of isolating time that we're living in right now, how much, how much a phone call catching up with a, with an old friend has just been like, Oh my God, I didn't realize I needed that so bad. That was just five minutes. And I feel like it just, that's crazy how much I needed that. Um, or a zoom call where you have a little happy hour with people. It's like, wow, that <laughs> I, uh, that was, uh, incredible. I, you know, I, and I, it's funny. I tell my, my, my folks, like there's a thing in the Jewish tradition, not, it's not a Jewish tradition, but it's just a thing in, in Jewish families called the the Jewish goodbye. And it's something it's, it's the most horrendous thing ever when, you know, in normal times, it takes like two hours to say goodbye to your family. Oh. It just, you have to just, you, you say, you start your goodbyes, you know, like you have to like prepare yourself mentally. At least I do like, okay. If we're if we want to leave at ten, I got to start saying goodbye like around eight thirty nine o'clock because we won't be out of there until ten o'clock. So you have to start preparing yourself because you have to say goodbye to everybody and everybody that requires an additional conversation with everybody in the house. You can't miss a single human being. And I was joking with my one of my members of my family that I was like, you know what, I wouldn't give for a uh, for a Jewish goodbye right now. <laughs> oh, right, so yeah. I love it. Yeah. So that was a long interlude into the question of, of how do you feel about sort of your relationship with your family? I know you've, you sort of talked a little bit about, about missing them in some ways and wishing you can go back. Um, and, and then sort of that transformation into who you are now, maybe let's, let's take a step back and talk about, and talk about those years of sort of high achievement where, where those, those feelings were being called and, and you were dealing with sort of balance issues how did you transition out of that? And then were there some practical things that you did to spend more time with your family? Was that important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. My son said something to me the other day and it was a little bit jarring to hear him say, well, you know, when I was little, you just never had any time for us. And I was like, <laughs> like, oh. heart, like, Oh, cause I can't go back and change that. And I, I traveled a lot. Like, my husband would call me, he'd be like, where are you this week? I mean, no, you know, I'm in New York. I'm in LA. <laughs> like, no idea. Cause I was always gone. And when I was home, I wasn't present. Right. Mm-hmm. I was so distracted with what I need to do at work and consumed with it. And so when I started to kind of do my own work with myself, my own personal and professional development work, and realizing like that's not who I want to be and what was most important was my family. It's hard to even talk about it. Like I started to shift, but it's mm-hmm. time, right? I'm not somebody who like 
like I told you, it took me 10 years to make the exit plan. And it took me years in order to realize that I was focusing on the wrong thing. You know, I was focusing on money and goals and whatever my company wanted me to do versus the most important thing, which is my family and my relationships. And now looking back, I mean, I've had my kids say so many times, like, you are so different than you were when I was in that stage 10, 12 years ago. I was high strung, you know, type A personality, driven, trying to prove myself. And a lot of that comes from, you know, stuff I made up as a kid, upbringing, having to do it on my own. But, um, but I, and you can't regret, right? It's, I can learn from it and I can change and be there now. And yeah, I mean, this, this whole being home and all of us being hunkered down and not being able to travel is such a blessing. I mean, my husband and I are really close right now. I'm like, wow, kind of love that guy. (laughs) 36 years later or whatever it's been, we've been together since I was 18 and spending a lot of time with my kids all of them and two of them are moving away right now. So um, now I'll have alone time with my youngest who's senior in high school. And then I'll have a ton of time with David. And we're looking at like this time right now is where I think a lot of people are reassessing their lives. And I think you've mentioned that before. And, and we are looking at like, what do we really want to create? Cause we can time and, and what, what's possible. Because there's infinite possibilities. So, huge shift. Huge shift. How did you meet your husband? I met him a month into my freshman year of college at University of Pacific in Stockton, California. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I was 18. Wow. Yeah. What would you say now to yourself 15 years ago? If you could, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and tell yourself, I mean, cause there seems to be, obviously there's, it's part of your story and it's, it's not something that, that you can go back and change, but what would you, what would you tell that, that younger high strung type A version of yourself? You know, what, what I would tell her, um, is to, to slow down and look at what's really important, but I'd say probably more importantly than somebody coming and telling you that, right? Because I'm sure people did tell me that (laughs) and I couldn't hear it was if there was a way to go back and change my inner awareness to who I was being in the world and what I really wanted to be in the world and what was important to me and knowing that it would go okay. It would all work out if I just let everything fail and crumble. Now, like so many of us, like, no, I, I was until actually, I just realized this about two weeks ago. I was like, wow, I have lived so much of my life from playing not to lose, playing not to lose. And what, what a defensive way to go about life. As opposed to playing to win. Yeah. Or wow. <laughs> I don't want to play to win either. Just playing to experience. Mm. <laughs> I don't have to win or lose. There is no winning and losing. It's all an illusion. <laughs> Play to experience. I like that. My new 
<laughs> I mean, you could, in a way, you could look at winning as playing to experience. Yeah. Yeah. And right. that goes back to what's a fulfilling life. Yeah. Right? That's a fulfilling life. You mentioned before uh, that you have a whole bookshelf full of books that you went through. Have, do you have a book or books that you have gifted the most? And to borrow a question from Tim Ferriss, do you have books that you that you gift to people often? Mm, um, I do. I have, I, gosh, so many. I give a lot of my clients books. So I'll, I'll, I'll share a couple. Tara Sophia Moore, read, read, um, there's a book called Playing Big. She's actually in San Francisco area. And she is, um, I love that book. I actually have used it as a reference quite a bit in my, the women's groups that I run. It's, it's a really good one. And I just recommended yesterday, um, Stephen Pressfield has, um, Turning Pro and The War of Art. I'm rereading The War of Art right now. It's all about what we're talking about, like the resistance to following this niggle inside. And all the excuses and reasons that we just put it aside. Um, so that's a really good one. And Turning Pro is, is a, another really good one. I, uh, another one, one more that I'll say is um, Authentic S- Success by Robert Holden. And I'm in a um, spiritual resilience um, program with him, mastermind group right now. Or mm. Program that's been really lovely. And I, I read that entire book, Sarah, mm-hmm. and she um, and I went through it. Uh, and it really does change your perspective around what is really, what does success mean? And it's the same question you're pondering right now. Like, what is a fulfilling life? It's not what you think it is. Yeah. So those are, there's so many more. I should start a resource on my website and a page um, I recommend. I'm going to do that. Thanks. For- that, would be, that would be great. What does success mean to you and your family, your family life? Honest communication, which we're working on, right? That's always a work in progress, especially as my kids get older. Um, deep relationships, experience. Oh, having fun together. We have so much fun together. I, I just, I love my family. Like my immediate family, and then I have um, my brother and sister-in-law. He lived here with my nieces, and I just talked to my sister last night. Like I really feel really fortunate. Amazing family. Not always easy. I had some really, really rough stuff with family, but it's, uh, yeah, so fortunate. Yeah, it's not funny how you love them, and sometimes it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> and sometimes, but it's always, it's always, it's always, it's your tribe. Yeah. So it's always important. It's um, it's a very bizarre thing. Yeah. Family. Yeah, I think um, my relationship with all of my family has shifted a lot from my own development work too, and like acceptance of who people are and not resisting and not controlling or trying to control less. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The relationships are much better than they have been in the past. So much of that is accepting who they are, letting go of expectations of who I think they should be. And that's a lot of inner work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. 
I'll tell you, I, I had an epiphany around this recently. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to share the story. And if it comes out, it comes out. So there's uh, an executive that I've known for years. And um, this is somebody who I, I feel like we have a really good relationship. Like when we talk, it is, it's really great, super deep conversations and uh, really enjoy this person. I worked for him, right? Under his, he was many levels above me. And um, it's interesting because we would have these deep connections and then I, like, he would disappear. He'd like go to me, like go away. And I was like, wow. And then he'd come back like a year later and be like, hi. And I'm like, oh, hi, there you go. And then go away and I get disappointed. It happened many, many times. And um, a couple weeks ago, he did it again, like a year or so, two years ago, went away, disappeared. And I was so disappointed. I was like, there we go again. Like, and he's wrong. And this is, you know, making him wrong. And he messaged me just a quote. Um, about being out in the wilderness because he knew I got back from this big backpacking trip. And it was really like, it was like, oh, how sweet. Like he thought of me and I messaged him. He messaged me back. I was like, let's talk. Silence, nothing. <laughs> and about an hour later, after being a little bit irritated and like, I'm going to just delete him, you know, I was like, oh, like this is just who he is. This is, it's not about me. And I didn't take it personally, but I'm like, can I just accept that this is who he is and this is what he does and stop judging him for it and be okay that this is the way our relationship is and probably the way of all of his relationships. And I was like, Oh, I had such expectations of the way I thought he should be. And so like from that, I'm realizing where I'm doing, I'm doing that everywhere. Right. Mm. And I, and I never created any kind of different, agreement around responding with him like <laughs> mm -hmm. he's just doing his thing and wow have i have i done that and 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 expected of people and been disappointed in a lot of relationships in my life and now i'm like wow that was on me so is that does that help answer yeah no it's an important lesson um and one that's i've talked to with sarah quite a bit about expectations versus agreements right yeah. Uh, Steve Chandler's uh, audio, uh, pretty pretty meaningful. The it, it's um, just remarkable how just a simple switch in your mind about thinking, oh my god, I had, totally have an expectation here, and it's making me miserable because I have an expectation that's that's in my own head. It's it's all in you. It's pretty remarkable how if you can get rid of that, if you can just let that go, there's no longer. The, all the sort of frustration and stress around that expectation is just gone, just disappears. So, so true. And I did an iteration of um, Steve's expectations versus agreements because I love it so much. Um, that's on my website. And because there's other things that I thought of, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then there's this element, like, you know, that uh, that I think is even deeper. I use that with all my clients. They all listen to it. I've do it like 18 times and every time I'm like, oh yeah. And, and see, I just had another epiphany with this global CEO that I was like, oh, I completely was doing it. <laughs> that on me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, tell us about your, uh, 
this text message that you got from this global CEO talks about your your adventures in the wilderness. You just got back from a trail running, uh, or uh, d- just tell us about your your experience. What was it? Where did you go? And and what is this new sort of? It's I guess it's not a new passion, but it's just something that you want to do a lot more of. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I I kind of moved away from the ultra running, pushing myself hard. I still love being out on the trails every day, but I don't race anymore and have that kind of goal, but I, but I want to experience it. So I've had this dream for a long time of hiking the John Muir trail and um, some friends of mine have done it multiple times. And I keep hearing my friend Steph talk about it and I was going to go do it with her and it hadn't worked out. Plus I don't know if I can keep up with her pace, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, and it's really hard to get a permit. And so I've been trying and, and this year in January, I got a permit and um, I decided that um, I I wanted to um, do it with my daughter who is leaving to go to medical school um, in about a week. And I was like, if we're going to do this together, uh, we should do it now because you're not going to be able to take that much time off. And I don't know if I'm going to physically be able to do it in 10 years, um, you know, Mm -hmm. 60s. And so uh, we went and did this adventure and uh, we're really compatible in terms of being able to, she's an ultra runner too. So miles wise. And it was, it was incredible. Just, I'd never backpack that many days in a row. So we were out on the trail for 13 days. It was 250 miles. We did, um, about 19 miles a day. It was about 47,000 feet of elevation um, climbing and descent. So it was intense. Like it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Plus I'm carrying everything. And mm. so many things went sideways, <laughs> like, like unbelievable. And so it ended up turning into not only this adventure and being out in the wilderness and Talk about unplugging. There was no, there was no service except for the one bar I had to call my husband to say, we're okay. Like nine days into it. And I, but I had a, a thing to, you know, spot so I could let them mm-hmm. know day where they had an indication of where we were, but it was, it turned into, I'd say a spiritual experience as well, which was kind of in my mind, I was like, this would be really cool. Cause I believe nature is spirit and and I saw so much and being unplugged and being so aware of uh, the beauty was amazing but also this level of so many things going wrong but then trusting that it was going to work out and it always did like things that were life-threatening that worked out it could be life-threatening and so it was it was amazing it was amazing and I'm still kind of um, we got off exactly a month ago tomorrow and I'm still like dreaming of it every day. and like, kind of like want to get back there. <laughs> I don't get back on the trail. How did your daughter, did your daughter have the same, same uh, experience as you? She, uh, I don't know if she had the same kind of spiritual experience as I did or, but she, she definitely had an experience, right? She, and we, we had, we did great together. You can imagine something that hard that you would have some ups and downs, but we didn't. We had one little thing where we talked through it. 
and took three minutes, but otherwise, um, it was great. It was amazing. It was hard. <laughs> do you have any things that you do with your husband in particular? That's sort of like your, your things. Do you have like a date night once a week? Do you have game nights? Do you like, is there something that, that you and your husband do together? That's like important for, for your relationship. From this COVID situation, we go um, hike this three mile loop near us um, multiple times a week. And it's just, it's been so fun and beautiful and it takes an hour and we're just outside and, and that's been really fun. We love to host um, get togethers too. Like we are so good at doing that after this, <laughs> you know, um, we pretty much know how to coordinate together. So that's a lot of fun too. We do a lot of river rafting. He's actually on the river right now with my wow. daughter, getting his time with her before she leaves. We do that a lot as a family. And um, we love to adventure. So, you know, we have Priscilla, which is this retro land cruiser that we're going to take on some trips, um, you know, long-term trips, or maybe get a bigger camper van is my hope. <laughs> uh, we love to just, yeah, travel and have adventures together. And yeah, we have fun together. It's a pretty cool guy. That's great. How are you mindful of when you are reverting back to the default mode, the default programming? How do you become mindful of that? And do you have any sort of strategies or processes that you that you utilize or or that work for you to kind of help get you get you out of that? Mm, such a good question. Right. And it and it happens all the time. Like this morning I woke up and I was kind of woke up not on the wrong side of the bed, but <laughs> close to it. Uh, just kind of like, look, and not in a great space. I was below the line. I use above the line, below the line a lot. I was definitely below the line. And um, one tool that I use is just, well, I become aware of it really quickly. And I just like ask, like, okay, how do I, how do I bring myself back up right now? And I'll sometimes get ideas or inspirations like, Maybe I play a beautiful song or I decided to actually get dressed and dressed up today <laughs> for myself and for my clients. And I make a choice, right? A conscious choice. Or I'll reach out to a friend like a Sarah, <laughs> you know, and have them help me or do something for somebody else oftentimes can pop me out of kind of the default mode. And I have my own coach, right, that I work with. And so we talk about this quite a bit. And I'll message when I'm, when I'm, I'd say, below the line or noticing I'm below the line. Like, and I don't know how to get out. So I ask for help oftentimes. But even like when you, we were talking about default mode, like, you know, my career in, in corporate America, I even notice where as an entrepreneur, I'll default into, some of that mode, right? Like working too many hours or starting to focus on my numbers all the time versus serving. And, and so it's doing my own work, constantly doing my own development with my own coach, with groups, with, you know, Sarah, who she and I hold each other accountable and having those conversations to bring myself back to more of an ideal of what I really want to create because 
like the money and those things in what I do right now, they don't really matter. They're nice. I like to, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm about, I'm really about helping to um, serve and, and really shift people and transform them to thinking about things differently. And I'm also is your relationship with Sarah, is it like a, a sort of more like an accountability relationship for you both? And do you, do you have like an accountability team that, you know, pe- just people that you rely on to sort of check you? I do. They're not a team, like they don't know each other, but I certainly do. So I have, I have somebody who helps me with all of my social media and helps me with my copy and she keeps me in check. <laughs> is that something that I tend to to uh, procrastinate on. <laughs> mm. And then I have, you know, Sarah, who is somebody who we talk to every single week and share stories or ask ideas or inspire each other, or I'm stuck here right now, or I'm feeling low right now and talk things through or, you know, um, whatever's needed in the moment. We read books together mm. and, sh- and go through the exercises and do the work together. So that's been really fun. I have my own coach who is also, you know, somebody who holds me accountable. I just finished uh, a coaching school around creating the business of coaching um, for the second year in a row. And I'm just about to start a smaller, more intimate group of creating a new project and a more advanced group that's intimate. So I'm, I'm always doing my own work that I have to move myself forward in order to help my people move forward. Cause I'm going to default back if I don't. So when you ask like, what are the tools and the ways that I, I continue to, to s- stop them from going to default. It's by always doing my own work and investing in my, myself in that way, reading all these books. Next to my bookshelf right now is the art of war. Gabby Bernstein's attractor, super attractor, and um, a woman's self-esteem. <laughs> Good question to ask people is what's not on the mic stand? Nice stand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Always doing your own work. Do you have a sort of practice for this? A daily journal, a meditative practice, where, or is it just you've worked on it and you work on it and you work on it. And now you notice when you're below the line or above the line, you notice when, when something is, is off or you're, you're defaulting back. Like you, you notice when you start paying attention to the numbers, does it, does it just hit you or is it something that you have a practice around where you like today, for example, for me, I, sometimes I try to write in the mornings and I try to say, what did I do yesterday? That was, that was good. What did I do yesterday that could use a little work and how do I want to feel today? And that sort of helps ground me and keep me sort of keeps me, keeps me glued together in terms of doing my own work. Like you say, do you have a practice around it that you, that you utilize? Um, yeah, I do. Well, I'm a regular meditator. And so just starting the morning off with a meditation, um, when I start with my clients, I do a centering with my clients first thing mostly to get us both present together. Right. So I'm kind of meditating all day long. Um, and affirmations, daily affirmations, which are new. Uh, I just wrote some new ones. Um, so first thing in the morning when I wake up, it's like telling myself where I want to be. Even this morning when I was reading, I'm like, uh, you know, because I was kind of uh, not there. But 
my intention is that I will be there more positive, higher vibration, higher energy, rested, calm, um, mm-hmm. resting. Uh, and you know, it's, it's like when I coach all day long with my clients, either the groups that I do or the individuals that I do. And so I'm constantly being reminded or mirrored when I'm in those calls, like five hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you a, an example of, you know, when I use that above the line or below the line, I use that towards anything. So there was a time um, later last year where I was kind of felt like my business was hard and I was like, oh, I need more clients and I want to, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know. I was just pretty negative. So I was definitely below the line. And I realized that my relationship to my business was coming from there versus coming from creating what I wanted and, and solution oriented. And I was negative, right? I was like, this is hard. Well, when you say that to yourself, of course, it's going to be hard. And I was like, no, how about if I'm like, this is so fun. It's full of joy. And, and so I shifted my relationship around my business and it is fun. I mean, not to say that it's, you know, all rosy all the time and things are going perfectly. There's a lot to learn from, you know, being an entrepreneur uh, and, and bumps in the road. But if I can approach it from, um, this is, this is learning and how do I, how do I trust this? How do I lean into it? Right. That can be really helpful. So I'm always, always doing the work. It's amazing. I know we're, we're actually past five minutes past and I want to be respectful of the, of the time you've allotted for our conversation. So we'll end here, but I, um, this has been a lot of fun. I, I've uh, taken a whole page full of, of really great notes. I love so much of what we, what we kind of talked about today and, and uh, the life you're living, um, the sort of chosen, conscious, intentional life that you're living is inspiring to me. And so I really appreciate you taking your time out of your, your busy schedule, helping other people to help me today and, and be here. Uh, it's been an honor. And you know what? If I can inspire anyone, because I did it and I wasn't doing it for the first 50 years of my life, (laughs) then it's never too late. And I hope anyone can get inspired to start to create what they really want and the ideal future for themselves. So thank you so much for having me. I love the conversation. We could be on the phone all day. (laughs) I agree. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. That'd be great. That'd be great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only do I read every one of them, but leaving a review will hopefully help increase the visibility of the podcast, which means that it will help reach other listeners that are also trying to discover what it means to live a full life. Additionally, part of the reason for creating the podcast was to start a conversation with others around the world. So if you'd like to connect, please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G. B-E-R-A-R-D dot com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date on the latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email you receive will also come from my personal email address, so I'm happy to have a dialogue personally by responding directly. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you on Twitter and Instagram, and all of my social handles are available on my website, 
gregberard.com. Thanks for listening.